This is uh, written by Julia Hamilton, and it's called, They Say I Am Illegal. They say I am illegal, but so is anyone who ever rolled through a stop sign, jaywalked, or threw trash on the ground. Not having a visa is a civil infraction, not a federal crime. They say, I am here to take your jobs. But the jobs are often backbreaking and underpaid, and we are exploited by those who could never find a US citizen to work under such conditions. They say that I bring drugs and crime with me, but it is US consumers buying the drugs and US weapons in the hands of the desperate. They say I am here to live off the system. I pay taxes too, and yet I live in a shadow economy that denies me the benefits of a secure old age and medical care if I get hurt on the job. They say that English is the only language worth speaking, but the true heritage of the United States is diversity, and I add my words and my traditions to the culture that enriches us all. They say I'm here just to have my baby. But can you remember another mother who braved hardship and danger to bring her baby safely into this world? Can you deny Mary or Maria the, fight, the right to fight for a better life for her child? They say that you will know I am illegal by my dusty boots and worn out jeans. But what about the student, I would add to that, or the landscaping truck I ride in? What about the student who overstays her visa, the artist who cannot marry his American boyfriend, or the grandmother who cares for the baby while the mother works? We may not all wear boots. We may have come from different countries, and yet we are alike. They say that the more I have, the less you have. But you are not diminished if I am raised up. Humanity is enriched when we climb together towards the light. So when I leave here today, I will drive to the Philadelphia airport, and in a few hours, I will get on a plane to go to London to visit my extremely tall and extremely homesick daughter, Alex. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to being with her. I'm looking forward to the trip. I get flustered before a trip, so bear with me. If I make even less sense than usual today, I get kind of flustered. But with this magical document in my hands, provided I don't lose it between now and then, I won't have any problem, will I? I mean, there might be lines. Heathrow can get pretty, you know, crowded. I might run into some anti-American sentiment. The Brits, like folks from many countries, are not super happy with us right now. But with this magical document, no one will take me to a detention center. No one 
will separate me from my child. No one will make it a possibility that I might not see her for months or years or indeed ever. I won't spend years in a detention center for wanting to be with my family. For those of us who have the privilege of carrying this document or even who have the choice of being able to get one if we so choose, the world is quite literally open. I mean, there are occasionally State Department directives, you know, don't go, don't go to Haiti or don't go to Egypt or don't go someplace. I've personally violated at least two of those directives. And I'm still here. But for the most part, there really are no restrictions on what, what we can do. And that, my friends, makes it really difficult for us to imagine that it would be different for anyone else, which it is. It is dramatically and markedly different for the hundreds of millions of human beings who were not born in a wealthy former colonizing nation. It's hard for us to imagine that freedom of movement is not a reality for the vast majority of the world's peoples. It's actually a, a form of injustice that we don't talk about very much, but it is very much built into the systems in which we live. And because it's hard for us to imagine, many of us believe that the way these, we don't know that these policies are laid out in such a way, and we believe that if only others did what we did, you know, they would be legal or would not be undocumented. You know, when, when suicide bombers hit the, the, the World Trade Center and the Pentagon and what was the town? Stonyfield Township in Pennsylvania. It was a horribly murderous act that killed thousands of people and affected many thousands of others. And it destroyed, as you well know, it destroyed much property. But it also initiated an era of what had already been a climate of hatred towards individuals from certain countries in the world or certain regions into full-fledged, full-fledged persecution. Many of my colleagues today are preaching in Unitarian Universalist pulpits and other places, and they are processing with their congregations the emotions and the fallout from our recent Supreme Court hearings, if you can call them that, if you can call them that. For me, I felt that we last week touched on and processed the most painful aspect of that experience, which was the vulnerability of a woman who came forward to tell their story, to tell her story, only to be ridiculed and mocked and disbelieved 
and possibly used as a pawn by any number of the different players in that drama. As I said to you early in the service this morning, the notion of a vision for our community is not only needful of sanctuary, but providers of sanctuary. The notion of us recognizing that while it may take two or three more generations of successful elections for this to be rebalanced, we may not be here to see a liberal Supreme Court again in our lifetimes. We may not. But we are here now. And we can move forward remembering that love is the doctrine of this church and service is its prayer. So I felt particularly called to share the story with you, to share the perspective with you of those whose entire life is colored by the fear of what the next knock on the door might mean. I wanted to share with you the perspective and the story of those who have long been counted upon as a labor force in the United States for agribusiness, for meatpacking, for construction. President, President George W. Bush, you may know this, after Hurricane Katrina devastated New Orleans, he waived the sanctions on employers who hired undocumented workers. Not that they're enforced very often, but he waived them. So hundreds and hundreds of thousands of undocumented workers were hired by construction companies in New Orleans to help rebuild the city. Because you see, a labor force that cannot get a visa, or if it receives a visa, cannot enter the path to becoming a citizen, a labor force that cannot advocate for even minimum wage or even half of minimum wage, a labor force that is not protected by labor safety regulations is the perfect labor force for an industry that wants to make a profit. A labor force that can be deported on the day before payday. There have been historically arrangements between agribusiness and ICE offices for raids to take place quite literally on the Thursday before payday. Pay, pay, uh, payroll checks are due to be handed out on a Friday. Now, you may not believe me, or you may think that I'm being partisan, which I'm not. I urge you to learn with me and to become informed and to explore, to explore these issues with me. I live in Kennett Square, as you know, 
in Kennett's, we have our own version of agribusiness in Kennett Square, which is the mushroom industry. We are the mushroom capital of the world, as our mushroom-shaped water tower proclaims. And as your nose will tell you if you drive through the area, mm, yum, mm, mushrooms. Not mushrooms, what they grow in. And if you don't know what that is, come and ask me after the service. But it does not come out of the right end of a human being, let's just put it that way. <laughs> the climate is such that the growers in Kennett Square are afraid they won't be able to continue because people are frightened, people aren't coming. A town that has actually been revived by Latinx uh, immigration, by new folks opening businesses, and I mean, it's a great town. If you ever come, have, have ice cream at La Michoacana. It's amazing, <laughs> it's amazing. But the whole town stands to, to go back in its economic development because of, of these, new repressive, these new repressive policies. Do you all remember Governor Pete Wilson in California? Do you remember something called Proposition 187? Maybe you don't see, now I'm going into lecture mode, which is always terrible. But California was facing a fiscal crisis in the late 80s and early 90s. And so uh, certain members of the Republican Party came up with this brilliant idea, which was a, a Proposition 187, which was based on the, the notion that immigrants were using so social services and costing taxpayers money and illegal, this is where the language of illegal came in. Illegal children were, were getting a free education and costing the taxpayers money. So the, the campaign was called SOS, Save Our State. And they got enough signatures to put it on the ballot and it won. So Proposition 187 was signed into law. Now it didn't last all that long. It was pretty much immediately challenged in court and eventually was, was struck down. And perhaps this is a glimmer of, of hope for those of us who follow history. That particular instance is credited with weakening the Republican Party in California so severely that it has yet to make a full comeback. So let that sink in for a moment. <laughs> let that sink in for a moment. But it was then that this rhetoric of illegals, they're taking our job, they're stealing our taxes, really became as, as vicious as it, as, it, as it is now. And while I love President Barack Obama dearly, he was not so affectionately known by folks in the immigrant justice community as the deporter in chief. Because Democrats, seeing the success of Proposition 187 adopted the rhetoric, adopted the rhetoric of strong borders, defending our borders against those criminal leeches. I don't know what, I don't, I don't know what, what, what we are supposed to be. Democrats adopted that rhetoric. And Barack Obama and his administration deported over three million people and began the policy of separating children from their parents, just so you know. Now our current deporter in chief is only too happy 
to continue. You know, I'm sad to say he has several things to brag about lately, but one of the things, remember he bragged this past week about destroying NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement? Somebody said it's just NAFTA light, but that wasn't me. But Among other things, my friends, and you may or may not know this, NAFTA displaced one million Mexican families from their land and therefore their only way of making a living. So these families, largely indigenous families, began a whole, a whole new stream of immigration to, to the United States. I'm bringing all of this up, my friends, and I'm giving you probably more background than, than, you, than, than you want. I was saying to Paul, you know, I, I don't usually talk to you about what it's like for me to craft the messages that I share with you. And this is a subject I'm so passionate, uh, passionate about. I thought, oh, it'll just, it'll just roll off. And I found it one of the most difficult messages to craft for you because there's so much involved because I want so much for you to understand or at least be willing to talk with me and to explore how these things work. There's right now a roughly a backlog of roughly a million cases in the immigration system just from Latin America. If one applies and receives a visa from a US consulate in Mexico and comes, it could take two to three decades to actually make it through the system to become a citizen of the United States. So when we say, why don't they just do it the way we did? It doesn't, it doesn't work. We are people, we are people of a faith that believes in the inherent worth and dignity of every human being. Doesn't mean that we're all good, we're not. Or that we're all bad, we're not. We're complicated people. But we believe in the inherent worth and dignity of every human being. And if we believe that, how is it okay? For what reason could it possibly be okay to separate families? To exploit workers here in the United States in dangerous, as Julia Hamilton said, dangerous, back-breaking jobs where they might earn $48 for two weeks of work if they're not deported beforehand. How is that okay? How is it okay to discriminate against folks because of where they were born? On what basis? The fact is, every tough immigration measure has only succeeded in creating more waves of immigrants going through more dangerous circumstances. That's, I mean, if those things worked, it might be a different story, but they don't. 
In 2010, the United Farm Workers did this huge campaign. Maybe some of you remember. It was called Take Our Jobs. And it was publicized all over the United States and the idea with websites and TV and even, I think Stephen Colbert even applied for a job. And the idea was, come, come, there are agricultural jobs. Here, come, come and get them. Three months in, around three million people had visited the website. 8,600 of those people had shown interest. Guess how many people had followed through? That's how many people wanted business in the agriculture sector. That's pretty amazing. So my friends, bringing it back, and I just forgive me if I'm more scattered or flustered than usual, please. Bringing it to who we choose to be, and yes, Bob, Choosing to be singers is good. Choosing to be champions of one another. Choosing to be part of that tribe that has always existed but has never been named, that tribe in which no one is left out. Choosing to be people who stand in our faith and in our beliefs even when those pieces of faith and those beliefs challenge our narrative of the way the world is. Because the way it is for most of us is not the way it is for most other human beings. I know, I know you, I know us. I know we can accept this challenge. And I know that we can stay in the trenches for as long as we need to because what, what is that song? We who believe in freedom cannot rest. You're lucky I'm not singing. My singing is about as good as my tap dancing. We will stay in the fight and we will take care of one another and we will listen to one another. And when we leave here today, I pray that we look at the world and say, how can I make sanctuary for you. Ashe, blessed be, and amen. <laughs>